0: Alabama came in and played really well, and Mississippi State, not only did they not play perfectly, they didn't even really play well. I'll talk about a few things from the game, and a few thoughts overall about the reaction I'm seeing out there about the game, on this episode of the Better Than Average podcast, presented by Mississippi Land Bank. Better than average? You play football. Football? Oh, no. Juggernaut of a podcast better than average. It's like a radio show that's not on the radio. Coach, it's a great day for you, huh? Yeah, it's better than average, I'll tell you that. <laughs> and here's your host, American Hero Man of Few Words. You're not a liar, are you? Wyatt, I am rolling. There have been a couple questions about uh, Alabama's defense, their scheme against the air raid in this game, and I'll just I'll touch on that real quick. It, it is not I mean, it's a slightly educated opinion on it, um, looking at the film and, or kind of going back and watching the game over again, seeing a few things I can point out to you in their defensive scheme. But you'd get a much better idea if one of our players or one of our coaches sat down and walked us through the film on that because um, they're going to know it more intimately than I would. But I'll just give you some basic observations on that to answer those questions. And then uh, I'll take a look at positives and negatives. And, um, you know, obviously there are plenty of negatives when you get blown out, but there were some positives too, I think, Um, and that may surprise you. So we'll go over those right now. The Better Than Average podcast is presented by Mississippi Land Bank. Visit them online at mslandbank.com and just trust me, you know, anything land related, buying and selling and Obviously, if you're a farmer, and we're talking big farmland and big farm loans, that's where you need to go if you're in North Mississippi uh, is Mississippi Land Bank. But even if not, maybe it's recreational property and a place to build a a home, anything like that, land-related. Go to Mississippi Land Bank in North Mississippi. You can find them online, (laughs) mslandbank.com. Alabama's players uh, after the game talked about this coverage, this uh, coverage scheme they used on defense. And they said that the name they gave it was Thief. Uh, And, you know, looking at going back and watching the game, at at times you could see there was a little bit of something different going on back there, but it wasn't major, you know. And I think that's the thing to me that came out of this uh, that was. Um again it's what happens a lot of times with media coverage is you know they'll lock onto something that players say or that coaches say you know and then coaches and players they move on they don't pay attention to the media reports they don't read don't care you know it's just not on their radar and meanwhile what they said gets taken and run with and fan bases a lot of times will then consume it the wrong way so I'm not this is not a wagging my finger at anybody but i'm trying to clarify you know going back and watching what they did defensively i don't think it was something that they haven't done before because in watching some alabama stuff from last year and this year it's you've seen it before those defensive alignments and personnel packages so again i i don't think it's something again just based on my observation i don't think that particular coverage and i'll get to kind of what it was was, I don't think it was something that they drew up or schemed up just for Mississippi State. Uh, I just think it was something they used in this game and used it pretty well and what I'm I, I, again I don't know this I'm not in their meetings but one thing they did they used a lot of single high safety stuff but they played a little more man than some other teams have. And especially once the game got stretched out and they weren't as worried about giving up a play, um, they brought a little more pressure than some other teams have. And I don't think State really handled it that well. And that's one of the things you got to do in an air raid is you got to handle the man and the pressure when you do get it um, or else it will kind of spin back the other way on you on this thing. Um, So a lot of that is personnel and otherwise. they, They did that some of the game. They did do some of the rush three and dropping everybody else in coverage that a lot of other teams uh, have done. But then they mixed in, like I say, a a little more man throughout the game. And then that, I I assume, I'm just assuming that when they are talking about they had a coverage called Thief, um, they pointed out the the first Jalen Battle interception where he went over the top and intercepted the corner route that you were trying to throw. Uh, to the left, to the Mississippi State sideline side of the field. You go back and watch that. That's a deal where it is a zone type of coverage, but instead of one safety and instead of two safeties, there are actually three guys that look like three safeties lined up deep kind of in the middle of the field. And the way I'm interpreting looking at that is it's still a three-deep, zone type coverage. It's just getting to it in a different pre-snap alignment with a couple of different responsibilities. You know, defenses are using nickel packages so you as base defenses anyway, so you technically have got three safeties on the field, right? And we think of cover three as a lot of times, you know, typically, historically, cover three as a free safety in the middle of the field who's playing deep zone and both corners dropping into deep zones. There's your cover three deep. If you were to look at it left to right, the left corner's got a deep third, the safety's got a deep third, a center fielder, and then the right corner has a deep third, and there's your one, two, three deep, right? So corners dropping, one safety in the middle, all, everybody else underneath in zone. Well, it's almost like they're doing the same type of thing but the corners are staying up and playing sort of like a flat underneath type defender with safety help over the top. So you have three defenders that are it's hard to describe it without showing you, but you have three defenders, like three safeties, lining up deep in the middle of the field. One in the middle of the hashes, two other you know on either side of him, but they are responsible for the deep thirds and kind of splitting off on the snap and the corners Are staying up, but will turn and run with guys if they're not threatened underneath in that zone coverage. I think that's what led to the first interception for the corner. Is he was Will Rogers is thinking he's going to be a a zone corner, therefore you know he's going to drop and try to stay on top if nobody threatens him underneath there. Then we might get a back shoulder. Maybe it was a zone. Maybe. And he thought it was man. I don't know, but there was a guy on top of that route, and when he tried to go back shoulder, the corner's already thinking I'm gonna stay underneath, and so he just stopped and caught it right because he wasn't trying to stay on top of the receiver. So I think there was some confusion there, you know, in in what they were seeing. Um, the the second interception, I think, because of that alignment, uh, battles one of those safeties, but he was on that left hash area. So when he's coming over the top, he's got he doesn't have as far to go to try to pick off that corner route that you're trying to fit down the field. So again, I'm I'm not in their meetings, I'm not watching it. I'm just picking up the clues on what we saw in the game versus what they said afterwards. And I think that may be what they're talking about. And so and it was something that we've seen them do before against other teams, or I have anyway. Just not exclusively, but a lot of teams do that. So I don't think it was a one-off just for state. It was just something they used that uh, helped them to create some plays. But overall, they just played better. Okay, and so I'll move on now from the specific of that thing that a couple people had questions about to kind of the overall in the game and some positives and negatives. (laughs) The overall story of this game is – one team have a had a huge talent overall roster advantage throughout its depth chart. When you look at first, second, third string guys collectively in all three phases of the game, the you know the sixty-five or seventy or ever how many it is that you dress out and travel collectively, there is a massive uh, difference in you know, the talent level throughout the depth. Now, you can only put 11 on the field at a time, and in some cases, there's not that big of a drop-off from one player to the next when you would compare the two. But when you get into your depth and the collective over the overall, when you have that big of a talent gap that you're trying to make up on one team, then you have to play almost perfect in order to have a chance to beat them if they play well, right? And not only did you not – did Satan not play perfectly, they didn't even really play well, okay? And when, when you have that big of a roster difference and you don't even play well and they play well, then you get a 40-point gap, and that's what you're going to get every year until you close the talent gap. That's just the fact. College football is the one major sport that is that way. College and pro, it's the one major sport that is that way. You don't have the type of uh, roster differential uh, in any other sport that you have in college football. You don't ever really get it in basketball. Sure, there's a big difference between, say, you know, Kentucky – versus Kentucky State, what? yeah, okay, there's a big difference, but it's still not as big a gap, nature of the sport, everything else, as what you have from a, a top team like Alabama versus others in college football. It is, at the the metaphor that I've used, it is their collective roster is on one side of the Grand Canyon from states. It's on one side of the Grand Canyon – and the rest of college football mostly is on this other side of the Grand Canyon. That's how big the gap is, okay? And that's why I talked about on the radio last week. They should never lose. There's Because of what they have, there's never an excuse for them to ever lose a ball game. Okay, and when, when their guys are motivated and have a great week of practice and come in and execute and play really well, you have to play perfect to have even a, a chance to hang in there. And if you don't, you get run out of the stadium. Well, as long as that exists – and until you close that gap sum, the talent gap sum, then you're going to continue to have those types of losses if you don't have a perfect game. You know, and you look at maybe the week before Alabama versus Texas A&M, A&M, they weren't perfect, but they were doggone close, and their quarterback was phenomenal. And some of the plays that they made, it was almost a perfect storm. And... The thing is, there's a talent gap between Alabama and A&M, but it's not nearly as big as it is between Alabama and some other teams, including Mississippi State right now. So one big charge for the program is, you know, you do have to close the talent gap. And the only way you do that is in recruiting and hit the transfer portal. And, and over time, you just have a, a, a more complete depth chart throughout, you know, or you're not maybe as dependent on your first 11 all the time. So that's one thing about the ballgame. Positives, negatives. Um, You know, one positive for State was you didn't have major injuries. You didn't have any major injuries coming out of that ballgame. Now, I know Will Rogers, uh, the the rumor, I don't know if it's a confirmed report, but I know it's reports and rumors that he's got the AC joint. He obviously banged up his right shoulder, Um, and that's – iffy I mean it really is because it's a position that you don't really have depth or you don't know that you have any depth because he's taking every snap but I guess what I'm talking about is you never have a guy in the game get carted off with a a busted knee or a high ankle sprain and stuff like that and that's really good news coming out of the ball game and for will on the AC joint deal I've had I've experienced that it's been many years ago it was actually the First time I experienced it was the last game of my high school football career. It was a playoff game that late in the game it happened. I got that AC joint separation. It was over here on my throwing shoulder. And it actually caused me to miss the basketball season my entire senior year of high school. Um, and the arm was obviously a priority because I knew I was going to go to college to play football. So. Um, Yeah, that was – and it was tough because that was one of those where, yeah, it it, it didn't – it's an injury that for me it didn't really swell up, but it constantly, you know, was giving you issues. It was hard to sleep with it. But you could do other things. Other things you'd have range of motion. To me it's one of those for a quarterback, it's the kind of injury where you can pick the ball up and throw it ten times and you're like, oh, it feels fine. I can't believe it. I have no issue. And then you reach down to tie your shoe – and it just kills you, you know. And and you don't. You just want to. <laughs> you want to cry out because it hurts that bad. Just picking up something, you know. Take a drink of water, and it and it cringes on you. Just move it just right. You never really know what's going to aggravate it. Um, so it's a matter of playing through it from a pain standpoint. And I guess it weakens it also. Like if the injury is bad enough that it can can weaken it, where you run the risk of re-injuring it worse. And so I, you know, would hope that it's just minor enough that. You know, a little light treatment and, and and that kind of thing, and some something to help with the pain, allow you to play through it. Uh, but I don't know that. Okay, so um, so yeah, I mean, overall injury stuff. You know, you keep your offensive linemen, your corners, you know, your receivers. You keep those key guys healthy. You know, if Will goes and is able to play through the rest of the year. Then I'm right. You didn't have an injury issue. Now, if he's out, then I guess you scratch his point in terms of the positives. Um, On on the positives, um, you know, it was good to have a good crowd. You didn't have a sellout, but it's kind of two different ways to look at it. Crowd was good. They were into the game. Provide a good atmosphere for you at the beginning of the ball game. It's important because we're talking about closing the talent gap, and you had recruits there. You know, you want to kind of show off. Tailgating was good. Weather was beautiful. Uh, the day, all that kind of stuff. So, you know, from one perspective, I thought you know, crowd did a good job, and then. Uh, another positive was Rees. You know, going forward, I think it's huge to have Brandon Rees. You do have some winnable games left on your schedule, and the fact that he's back and he just went three for three and hit one fairly long field goal in the game. He's just somebody if State's going to get bowl eligible, he's got to be out there and a part of it for you, because you know you just—it's a year where you're you're. You're getting better on offense, but you're not going to be consistent enough to go down and score every drive offensively, you know, th- completed in the end zone. You, there will be ups and downs because you are what you are at this point. And so you're going to need that big leg from Rees. Um, so it's good to have him back. And I thought another positive in the game was the play of uh, Bookie Watson. He was really good there on the defensive side for you. Led you in tackles and physical there at linebacker. and. You just you're gonna you need somebody like him that in the second half of the year to sort of step up and maybe become a bit of a star for you. You know he had a big game against Texas A&M also. You need that um, because you know you're using Tyrus Wheat in some different ways because of his size. Um, You know you're you're using Brulee to try to pressure. You need that other guy that, whether it's rotating in or just however he's on the field, to sort of step up and be a star in that front seven if you're going to go out here and upset somebody and, and get yourself bowl eligible. So maybe that's a step in the right direction for him, and that will all be about uh, consistency. <laughs> negatives, you know, obviously there's plenty of negatives to come away from a game like this. You know, this is what I was talking about. If you go to the other side of the coin on the crowd, I, I do think it is a negative that you're hosting a game like you were hosting after an open date. So the last time you played was again a win on the road in the SEC. Two weeks to get ready for it. You know you're going to host Alabama, six o'clock primetime game, and for whatever reason you can't sell your stadium out. Um, I think to ignore that is would be that it'd be just that it'd be ignoring it because it is a fact that that's not healthy you you had a really good crowd you had a an excellent atmosphere it wasn't like it was you know half empty that's not what i'm saying but even in a year like this that still feels like on the front end of of a little bit of a rebuild of your program the fact that you're coming off of a win like the one that you had and that it's Alabama that you're hosting at six o'clock on a beautiful night, that you got a 61,000 seat stadium and you can't sell every seat out, to me, it has to be addressed. Um, and I don't know the answer. But, I, but uh, you know, I do know that it has to be a priority in some way to look at that and take inventory and go, okay, this isn't good enough. And I'm not talking about just from a fan base, I, I don't know that it's a. It's not a fan's job to market the tickets and the seats and the game to himself or herself. That's a university thing and a program thing, and just something's got to be better there. Now, the game went the way a lot of people expected it to go, and that might be an indication for you. And, you know, in a, if you can go and win a game this week and come back and host Kentucky, you may look up and have a. Closer to full stadium, but um, I just think, you know, if you're being honest, um, it's not good enough to be in that situation coming off that win, hosting that game at that time slot, and not sell it out. That's not good enough. It's got to, something's got to be better. I'll be honest with you. I think another negative coming out of the game has been some of the reaction, whether it be from some media or from some fans. Now, I don't really myself get to consume much of the media reaction. But having a radio show and, you know, we get text messages and phone calls and comments on live streams and stuff like that. And then I get direct messages on Twitter a lot. Uh, You'd probably be surprised how many of those I get. And it's fine. I like it. People don't want to make their Deepest, darkest concerns or thoughts on things public, but they'd like to, you know, bounce it off of I me. Mean, that's a that's fine if you want to do it that way. Uh, and talking to people and otherwise, but I kind of felt this on the radio show yesterday, and then based on some of the stuff I was told that other people were saying, I just simply don't. I don't get it. I don't understand the reaction to that game against that opponent. From a few people, that you would make a big definitive conclusion on the football team, you know, based on something that happens against Alabama. I mean, it's just—I told one guy yesterday on the radio show that I thought he was a little negative about something, and yeah, you understand negativity after loss; it's just part of it. But my thing was, you—you can't come to big sweeping negative conclusions of your quarterback or your coach or your right tackle or anything when you're playing Alabama I mean you play them and they get the best of you and and it means these guys on this side don't have any clue what they're doing I mean like what are you where's the reality here you know I mean you, what credit are you are you willing to give Alabama It's just, uh, I don't understand some of that. Um, I think what I told the guy yesterday was, you know, some of the negative stuff would actually hold more weight if you had come with it after they beat Texas A&M than it would after getting blown out by Alabama and them coming off a loss. Um, It's amazing to me. I guess what I'm saying is one of the negatives that comes out of this type of thing is the overreaction from some people. And and really, it's just sometimes it's just, and it has been this year, sometimes the overreaction fans and some media alike has just been almost, you know, borderline embarrassing. So overall, I just think, you know, you have, you obviously have opportunities, uh, opportunities left on your schedule that, you know, some are winnable. Uh, some are more winnable than others, but there's some that are right there. Like, you know, it can go either way. Obviously, you got tough road trips. You got a couple of tough home games, uh, and a couple of games that you should win. And just like the first half of the year, outside of this game against Alabama, uh, some of these games are going to come down to how consistent you are. Do you go out and put four quarters together without turning it over, without missing tackles, um, you know, exploiting one or two matchups that you find? Those, those games would come down to some of those things. Um, but this Alabama game was not that. The, the situation was primed and ready. They had gotten beaten the uh, week before. They don't lose two in a row in that program, and they shouldn't with the way they recruit, the types of players they have um and they came in and and put it all together and played really well their quarterback played really well and at the same time state didn't play very well and that's how you get a big blowout and to me that's as simple as that i mean it's you go well you got to raise expectations it's unacceptable okay i agree with that but what are we going to do snap our fingers you know wave a magic wand it takes time it takes maybe even a long time to close a talent gap (laughs) or even to start to you know decrease that gap just a little bit it takes a long time so you knew what you were up against going into the game and some of the overreaction after the game to me is a little out of place I think they're going to be okay you know the biggest question mark is going to be obviously a You know, how banged up is Will Rogers? You can't afford to lose him. And, uh, you know, if he's able to play through it and and be relatively healthy the rest of the way, you got some winnable games. All right, so that'll wrap it up for Episode 16 of the Better Than Average Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. This show is presented by Mississippi Land Bank, and I hope you'll let them know that you heard about them here. And check them out at mslandbank.com. I'll see you on the next one.